If you are a guest today in the room or online, you may not know that today is my last Sunday as the senior pastor after 16 years. So um, you'll indulge us a bit. I heard that I don't need to pay attention to that clock today. God has called me to be the associational mission strategist for our association of churches in eastern Nebraska and a little slice of western Iowa. Southern Baptist churches are all independent and autonomous, yet we gather together and we cooperate. So rather than being like I'm in charge at the top of the triangle telling pastors and churches what to do, it's quite the opposite. I'm going to now be at the bottom of the triangle seeking to shepherd pastors and churches and what to do. So I'll be on the road a lot. I'll be on the phone a lot. I'll have an office in Omaha, but if you didn't know, our family's not leaving Lincoln and we're not leaving Southview. And for that, we are most thankful. For those of you that don't know, I love the so that. Somebody gave me that as a gift a while back, and uh, I don't know if I'll leave it sitting there through this entire sermon. But before I preach, I was hoping to make it further than this before I had to pull out the handkerchief. <laughs> Somebody get that girl a mic. said that to me earlier I said she could do that sometime I'm sure Pastor Nathan will need a supply preacher from now on again I've heard her preach a few times to me (laughs) and she says I haven't heard the end of it yet (laughs) knowing that today is the last Sunday I stand before you as your senior pastor I call upon your prayers one more time. Those prayers have lovingly sustained our family for 16 years as we have become Nebraskans. Those prayers have carried me and you sometimes because they may not have been that good through 800 sermons. And as I sought with humility and courage to communicate the truth of God's word, which is the foundation of our faith. Those prayers that sought God's will and God's wisdom as I strive to lead you as a church through life, when life has been challenging and when life has been welcome. Those prayers 
again today for those prayers. I cannot thank you enough. Thank you. You, Southview, and those who have made you a church for the 66 years of our existence, members whose lives we've celebrated in this place as they went on to their eternal reward, members who have taken them somewhere else uh, with a job or with life, you are my joy. And to see how you love one another without reserve, giving yourself freely and fully to one another as a church, to see how you serve with the giftedness and strengths that God has given you, sometimes amidst your own questions and fears, and to see how you give sacrificially to meet the needs of others with time and your treasures, to see you right yourselves and your relationships when wrongs are discovered, confession, repentance, forgiveness, restoration, to see how you have lived those same values with my family through the years, you are my joy. And I rejoice in the peace and the unity which God has given this church. It is a sacred gift. And as a member of this church, I'll still fight for it. We will fight for relationships. We will fight for the orthodoxy and teaching of God's word. And we will fight for one another. Those who have been here for three decades will tell you that there have been difficult times of pastoral transition in the past. Those that have been here since the beginning of my tenure will tell you 2009 was a difficult time for us and many church families left. But God has a plan. He was working His glory. He was going to change this pastor to humble me, to grow me, to teach me, to bring me, to depend on him more. But he was going to change you, his church, to teach you perseverance and forgiveness and peacemaking. These are valuable lessons we should not forget. We've had our challenges since then, but God has come through. He's given us peace. He's protected our unity for more than a decade. Guard that unity. Love one another. Be otherish. I rejoice at the staff that serves us now in my tenure as your pastor. We've been blessed with over 15 staff members. It is hard for me to express just how thankful for and how proud of our current staff I am. Sarah, our custodian, Quietly goes about her work, keeping this place clean and setting things up and taking them down with no complaints and great flexibility. She's such a blessing. Thank you, Sarah. Dawn, our financial secretary, may be the one least seen around the building because she works from home, but she is such a joy and so sharp, always keeps an eye out for us, always willing to share her insight. Dawn, you are such a blessing. Thank you. Karen, our office manager. Wow. It seems like she can do anything and she makes it look easy, but she does it with such grace and such dignity. 
Karen, you're a delight. Thank you. Pastor Nathan, to this point, has been an unpaid staff member, but that changes in two days from now when he becomes our part-time interim pastor. But as a pastoral resident for the last year plus, he has come to staff meetings and he has served in innumerable ways in every sort of ministry, commending himself to us. He didn't know, nor did I know, that this is the direction it was going to go, but God knew. And I commend to you, my friend and brother Nathan, a man of great intelligence but greater character, who's seeking to follow Jesus in the steps he's taken of surrender already. You'll get to hear those stories from him in the future. And his wife, Emily, whew, she's something else. Nathan, Emily, we love you. Thank you. Pastor David, our associate for students and discipleship, he's quiet, but don't underestimate the man. He is impressive. There is a manner about David that I wish to grow in myself. Deeply loving, thoughtful, diligent. Such an amazing servant. Thank you, Pastor David. And Myra, oh Lord, I got to make it through this one. <laughs> Though I'm incredibly proud of all of our staff members. <laughs> There's none I'm more proud of than Myra, the little girl who loved Jesus and loved this church who God called five years ago to serve this church and is doing an amazing job. Thank you, Myra. So I love our staff. You know that, and you do too, and that makes it a joy. Southview family, you do not know how blessed you are to be in a church with such amazing staff, unless, of course, you've been in a church with pretty terrible staff, and maybe some of you have. <laughs> so I will remind you, love them. Share your lives with them. Don't treat them as other or different. Treat them as one of your own, because they are. Do life together. Take care of them and pray for them. And as you love them, they will love you. And as you serve them, they will serve you. And God will do amazing things as we do this together. Beyond our church staff, I rejoice at our countless volunteer ministry servants. Almost every one of you has at least one job in this church. And come Easter pageant time, we all have five jobs in this church. <laughs> Thank you, Silvana. And there are too many names to list out, lest I live, leave any out, but you'll hear from me. Individually, I'll write you a note or I'll call you or text you. I've got to at least, by category, mention our deacons and our church council. Our deacons, through my 16 years, have redeemed the deacon ministry for me. The church I served in Texas, things were pretty ugly with the deacons. I knew there could be a better way to do deacon ministry, and we found it here. Thank you, brother deacons. 
and our church council, the way we change, the way we administrate and lead our church for the better. Thank you to those that have served on our church council. And I was thinking this morning that of all the people I should give thanks to that are volunteers in this church, there is a generation of men just above me, many of them could be my father, that if it wasn't for these men and the way they've kicked me in the tail when I've needed it, the way they've coached me kindly when I would receive it, and the way they've prayed for me, that I wouldn't be the man I am. And this wouldn't be the church it is. With countless ladies that can go in that category too. I am so very humbled. And Southview, I rejoice that the best days for this church are ahead, not behind. Now, it's not preacher church talk to say that the best days for the church are ahead. I mean it. I believe it. Because when God began to call me to consider, should I take another role? It was because I knew that I wasn't the right leader for Southview's future. That there needed to be another senior pastor. Well, God, how are you going to work to get this yahoo out of here to get somebody else in? God did it. And God's been working on that plan for years. To shape my character and experience, my mind, my heart for the new role to which he's called me, but also... To shape Nathan's character and experience, his mind and his heart for this new role to which he's called him. And to shape our church for this next chapter which he has before us. And a pastoral transition in the midst of a capital campaign, you've got to be kidding me, right? Southview, we're taking a bold step, a risk. Why? Because God knew the timing. It wasn't a surprise to him. Why? Because he gets the glory. That's why. God has got this and he is going to carry us through for his glory. I rejoice, Southview family, that your role in all of this in these months ahead is to come to Jesus with your heart surrendered with your hands open, encouraged in faith to say, God, you've got this. It's mine to obey and yours to get the glory. I rejoice in my family. You all know Melanie and now you want to hear her preach. Seth, Mary Elizabeth, who's in a dance competition in Council Bluff and had to be there today lest she let down her entire company of dancers and John Mark. Melanie is a wife of noble character that this guy is so blessed to find. Seth, the quietly brilliant and quickly clever. Mary, always my princess and growing in grace. And John Mark, not a baby anymore and discovering himself as a young man. You have loved us well, church. Thank you. My verse through these months that God has made clear his call to me has been Isaiah 26.3. You will keep in perfect peace him whose mind is steadfast on you because he trusts in you. Steadfast means to rely on, depend on, rest on. That's been my verse, but it can be your verse, Southview, in this transition. 
Have faith in God. Depend on Him. He's going to carry you through. It's been the great privilege of my life to serve you as your senior. Most sorrowful moments and everything in between. Your love for me, your love for my family, your love for one another have made all the difference. Thank you is not enough. And finally, in what is still the introduction to my sermon, and it's much longer than normal on purpose, I rejoice. It's my joy to ask you to open your copy of God's Word with me one last time. If you haven't already, please turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. We will go passage by passage through this scripture today. Let me lead us in prayer before we do. God, you've got this. You've always got this. We've never known a time when you haven't. Yet today, today's a little different. We ask you to speak today, not because this preacher boy is moving on, but because you deserve all the glory and all the honor and all the prayer for all things that you have done. So speak through your word, God. And you speak through your servant today, we pray. Amen. You're going to have to pardon me for just a minute. All right, anybody ready for one more sermon? <laughs> Buckle up, baby, let's go. Our scripture memory verse of the month, you've got up on the screen there with you. Let's say it together. 1 Corinthians 1.18 for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. 1 Corinthians 1.18. Amen. Your first point on your outline today is a question, and it asks you, what is God's foolishness? What is God's foolishness? Verse 18 through 25 says, For the message of the cross, we just read it, is foolishness to those who are perishing, lost people. But to us who are being saved, Christ's followers, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent, I will frustrate. That's Isaiah 29, 14. Then Paul asked rhetorical questions as he was wont where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made the foolishness, has not God made, excuse me, foolish the wisdom of this world? God is saying through Paul as he writes, inspired by the Holy Spirit, that this world is not going to understand because they don't want to understand. Verse 21, for since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. 
Most of us here today are believers in Jesus. We've trusted Christ Jesus as our personal Savior and Lord. But maybe today you're in this room or maybe you're online and you've never asked Jesus to be your personal Savior and Lord. It's pretty simple. Admit to God that you're a sinner. Believe that Jesus is God's Son and confess Him as your Savior and Lord. A, B, C. Let's go on, verse 22. Jews demand miraculous signs and Greeks look for wisdom. Paul writing about the culture that he's in, the different worldviews and mindsets. We see that even today. People ask God to prove himself when if they would just look around with slightly different eyes, they'd see that God's proven himself all over more than enough. Verse 23. But we preach Christ crucified. Amen. That's what we preach from this pulpit. That's what this church, even though it is called Southview Baptist Church, it could be called Southview Jesus Church. Because we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. Do you hear that? What's that first question again about foolishness? What's your first answer to put up on the screen? The world won't accept it. We should not be surprised when we share the gospel with somebody, when we talk to them about our Christian worldview based on an orthodox understanding of the Bible, that they won't accept it. The Bible says they won't accept it. Paul goes on to say in the next chapter that the man without the Spirit doesn't understand spiritual things because they're spiritually discerned. We've got to pray and ask the Holy Spirit to touch the mind and the heart of that person who's not yet a believer in Jesus, that they would consider and accept the gospel message, the good news that Jesus loves and died for all people who will trust him. But there's another reason for God's foolishness, and that's on your screen now, and that's our crucified Savior. If you're reading the story as history and you're considering who Jesus is and what happened to him, you say, that's crazy, that's foolishness. Why would a king, why would God allow that to happen to himself? It doesn't make sense. You read the whole Bible, it does, however. You even read enough of it, it matters. That God sent his one and only son, Jesus, that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have eternal life. So our first question today is about foolishness. Our second question, if this is all foolishness, why did God choose us? Back in the day, I referred to myself as a Texas Yahoo, and along the way, dear brother Carl Brown upbraided me kindly. To remind me that I am not a Yehu and I need to drop the act. Carl's given me good advice in more ways than one, as many of the rest of you had through these years. But when we consider who we are and where we come from and who we are not, 
we might ask, why did God choose me? The answer is right here, friends. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26 and following. Brothers, sisters too, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. You didn't add up. We still don't. We look around our sanctuary and we say, man, we don't have many people like this or like this or like this. How are we going to do what God has put before us to remodel this sanctuary and add the coffee shop and the mother's room and the children's check-in area? How are we going to raise that amount of money in three years' time? Go on with this passage of Scripture, verse 27. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before Him. God did it for Himself. And what God is going to do through our church in the next three months as we plan for May 15th, in which we have that Pledge Sunday, and the next three years as we give through that is for His glory. What God is going to do in a pastoral transition in the midst of a capital campaign is for His glory. What God is going to do through you, and we can't do Easter pageant again this year, is for His glory. What God is going to do through everything we've got planned through life together this year is for His glory. God is going to do it. Verse 30. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. What are you not? Have you asked Jesus to be that for you? God does not intend for you to be everything you imagine or dream you are to be on your own. You've got to decrease, but Christ must increase. Verse 31 says, Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. When we answer that question that we put on the screen, our second question, there's got two answers there. The first one is that we're totally unimpressive. I mean, on our own, you look at us as a church, there's not too much to get excited about. We're totally unimpressive. Yet God's at work. He's going to get the glory through everything he does here today and in the months and years ahead. Why? The next reason, I think I made it clear already, to show His glory. Everybody say that with me. To show His glory. That's why we're unimpressive. That's why we are things that are not, not influential, not wise, not powerful, not noble. To show His glory. When you read your Bible from Genesis to maps, you see the story of a redemptive relationship of God with humanity. And what is God after in that? His glory. What is God after in our church right now? His glory. So we've dealt with two questions. One about foolishness. One about why would he choose us since we're foolish and we're not. We got a third question this morning. 
How should I preach? And I will beg your indulgence once more because I'm the preacher here, so I'll apply this one to myself. But you know, your life is a sermon, so you can apply it to you as well. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1 through 5. When I came to you, brothers, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. Yeah, Texas, Yehu, we hear you. Verse 2, for I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. If you were to go back in your sermon notes, if you kept them, to October 23rd, 2005, my first sermon, right there. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. I have to confess to you that my resolution to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I failed you in that a lot, church. It's pretty doggone easy for this guy to be selfish and sinful. To think about me and not to think about you. Not to think about my family. And I have to ask your forgiveness for that. I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. It might need to be a motto for your life. If you're going to get a tattoo, maybe you want to get 1 Corinthians 2, 2 tattooed on you to remind you. Maybe on the back of your eyelids like I've been wont to say. Verse 3 goes on. I came to you in weakness and fear and with much trembling. My message and preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. I mentioned 2009 earlier. Um, it was pretty ugly around here. You, even if you were here, may not know the details, and I'm not going to share them now. But there was something amazing that happened in 2010. November 2009, the personnel committee met with me and said, Pastor, you're still our pastor, and whatever's wrong with you, we're going to help you fix it. Whatever's wrong with us at a church, as a church, you know us better than anybody, you're going to help us fix it. We want you to stay. And my mouth dropped, because for 10 months I had been told, you got to go. Pastors don't survive this sort of stuff. But God didn't call me to go until now. But go back to 2010. We preached on forgiveness that summer and we built towards a revival in which we invited a former pastor, Eddie Halleck, and his sister-in-law, Charlotte Greenhaw, to lead music for a good old-fashioned revival. The Sunday before the revival was to begin, however, we had revival in this place. The Holy Spirit fell here like I've never seen him fall since. I challenged you to seek forgiveness, to offer forgiveness, to get up and make a phone call, to walk across the aisle, to fill this altar. And on that Sunday in August of 2010, when I looked up from this altar as I was here weeping in the front middle 
place was flooded. We didn't even have to talk about canceling Sunday school because we were too busy praying to think about Sunday school. We were just worried about the kids and the folks in child care. Our message and preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with the demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith may not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. Oh, that God might move in our lives and our church like that he did with power. That he will do things in and through you like we haven't seen in almost 12 For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent. I will frustrate. Where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since it's wisdom of God... uh, The world, through its wisdom, did not know him. God was pleased through the foolishness. Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. Brothers, Think of what you were when you were called. Not many were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God that is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. When I came to you, brothers, I did not come with eloquence or superior words as I proclaimed the testimony about God, for I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Christ Jesus and him crucified. I came to you in weakness and fear and with much trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but the demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. God, our Father, we come to you this morning with this table set before us, the Lord's Supper table, a remembrance of our Lord Jesus and what He has done for us. And we come this morning having been reminded through Your Word about 
why you called us. For your glory. And we come this morning with hearts full of emotion over a time of transition. Hearts full of joy because of what you've done among us. We're a family, Father, a family of faith. And you did that. You brought each and every soul here who's here today and those that are, couldn't be here and those that have been members of this church family before. You made Southview a church. And for that, we thank you, God. And we pray, God, that your will would be done today. And any that needs to trust Jesus as their personal Savior and Lord would do that right now. Any that needs to confess, repent, and turn from something would do that right now. And that we would seek to have our hearts sanctified, set apart, pure for you before we receive this table. And we'd do that right now. So God, move in this place as we sing this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray.